Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome those of you who are just now joining us via video feed from Knox Hall, from our modern worship service, as well as those of you watching online. Good morning to you. Uh, before we get to the message of the day, I want to announce a brand new partnership between Ward Church and Livonia Public Schools. Uh, starting last week, special needs high school graduates, young people, will be in our building daily to learn job skills. Uh, some of you know that we have this large, amazing, wonderful commercial kitchen, and Livonia Schools sees it as the ideal place to teach these students culinary skills. And they're going to begin uh, making baked goods, uh, which will be for sale at the Renew Cafe. Uh, you can look forward to that. They'll be also learning building skills from our building team and office skills from our office team. And I'm really excited about this, that Livonia Schools sees our church as a really good place for students with developmental disabilities to learn job skills. Yeah. And they see our people as really good people who will offer the welcome, acceptance, and encouragement these students need. And you might see these students in the hallways, especially if you're here during the week. Make sure you say hello and let them know how glad uh, you are that they are here. It's called the Livonia Transition Program, and it's worth celebrating. Let's do that again. We have just launched a sermon series on the greatest sermon ever given, and we're going to be spending time uh, this year on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to bask in that this year. According to Professor Harvey Cox, the Sermon on the Mount is the most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, most influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history, and this year we're going to immerse ourselves in it. I have challenged you to show up to church every Sunday because every line in this great Sermon of the Mount uh, is gold. I've challenged you to join a discussion group, and those start next week. And today I want to challenge you for a discipline that might be new to you. Um, I want to ask you uh, over the course of this next eight weeks to memorize the eight Beatitudes. And some of you know how helpful the discipline of memorization can be in internalizing a lesson, in soaking in the words of Jesus. These eight statements are easily memorized by most people. I know some of you are concerned about your ability to memorize, and some of you worry about you know, memorizing people's names, and some of you worry about memorizing your own name, and, uh, and, and me too. But we're going to help each other over these next eight weeks and at the end of these uh, eight weeks, we will have these Beatitudes in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, we'll start that next Sunday. Uh, the Beatitudes start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And this morning, I want us to look at the two sentences that come right before the Beatitudes. The two sentences that come right before the Beatitudes, verse 1 and 2 in Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus saw the crowds. And today, uh, we're going to focus on the crowds. Last week, we focused on the message, on the good news. And today, we're focusing on the crowds that were there to hear the good news. Who were those people in the crowds? Needy people. Poor people hurting people. 
the Bible says that the people who came to Jesus included people with disease, people in pain, lepers, demon-possessed. It says they came from Galilee, that's the north. They came from the Decapolis. Those are the people that live on the wrong side of the lake, the wrong kind of people. People came from Jerusalem, so there were some religious people there. They came from all over. In that crowd that day were people who drink too much, people who can't hold a job, people who have no money for medicine, people who have no hope. And how will Jesus give the good news to this motley crew? And he begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's start with that word, blessed. The greatest sermon ever given starts with one of the greatest words ever spoken, blessed. Some translations say happy. Uh, that word beatitude comes from the Latin word beautus, uh, which is where we get our English word beautiful. Jesus says happy, blessed, beautiful people are people who are poor in spirit. It's not something you would expect anybody to say. There's been a lot of speculation over what Jesus meant by this. Was he saying that we should try to be poor in spirit, that that, that is a, a new value in this new kingdom? Or was he merely acknowledging the reality that was right in front of him? Did he look out at those crowds and there were people there who were poor in spirit and there were people who were mourning and there were people there who were meek and was Jesus saying, good news, friends, the kingdom of God has come to you as well. There is no condition that will exclude you from God's kingdom. However you interpret it, the religious people probably had a problem with this line. They were shocked by it. They did not think of themselves as poor in spirit, nor did they associate with people who were poor in spirit. They kept their distance, but Jesus welcomed them. The church I served before coming to Ward, uh, a member of the church came up one day, wanted to talk to me about one of our elders who, uh, who just dressed terribly on Sunday mornings. And this was a real problem. This person looked disheveled and their clothes were ripped and torn uh, before it was in to have clothes that were ripped and torn. And, uh, and this is an elder of our church that's going to reflect poorly on our church and that I should talk to this elder. And, uh, and I was still praying and thinking about whether I should respond. If, uh, I don't, I'm not the person to respond to, to, to physical, the way people look physically. Uh, but it was curious to me that this guy did not look this way during the week. He was a university professor and uh, he was a mathematics professor and stereotypically he had the Albert Einstein hair but, but on, on, on the weekdays it was kind of kept in check but on Sundays, bam, it was all everywhere and, uh, and, and he dressed nicely during the week but on Sundays he did dress terribly. It was almost like it was intentional and I was thinking about what I should do about this when thankfully I was in a conversation after church with a group of people and this guy's wife was in the circle and he said, well, you know, you know how Ken dresses and I said, oh, oh I hadn't noticed. She said, well, you know why he does that, right? I said, no. He is so passionate that he doesn't want anybody to come to our church, anybody to visit our church, and, and, and not be dressed right and to feel embarrassed about how they're dressed. People don't know how to dress in church. And so he resolved 20 years ago that he would be the worst dressed person in the entire church. So that no matter who showed up and they scanned the crowd, there was at least one person in a more deplorable condition than him. And I said, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I now, I, I am not suggesting that our elders should rip it up. 
But I think we do need to ask ourselves, the people that felt so welcomed and accepted and included by Jesus, would they feel welcomed and accepted and included by us? The people that were attracted to Jesus, would they be attracted to us? There were people in that crowd that day on the mountain who were poor in spirit. These were the spiritually bankrupt. These are the people who say things like, boy, if I ever walked in a church, the walls would probably fall down. These are the people that don't know where to find Leviticus in the Bible. Uh, these are the people that think Joan of Arc is Noah's wife. Uh, they, they don't have any biblical background. They don't have a religious resume. Uh, they, they feel they have nothing to offer. Maybe they feel empty. It can be associated with financial poverty as well. In that place in time, those who were poor in spirit were also poor in finance. Dallas Willard writes this. He says, those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus, not because they are in meritorious condition, but because precisely in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of heaven has moved redemptively upon and through them by the grace of Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those whose spouse has deserted them. Blessed are those who've lost a job. Blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are the depressed. Because Jesus says, now you are no longer alone. Now I will be with you. Blessed are the meek, he went on, for they will inherit the earth. Listen, no, nobody puts meek on their list of desirable attributes in a job application. Uh, nobody puts meek on their match.com profile. Uh, no company has a meek employee of the week award. None of the conditions listed in the Beatitudes are thought by our world to be tickets to happiness, and that's precisely why Jesus lists them. The idea is that no human condition excludes blessedness now that Jesus is in the equation. Jesus is contrasting his Beatitudes with a list maybe that the world would create about who is blessed. Think about where we live in our time, what our list might look like here in suburbia in the Midwest. The list of the blessed might, might go like this. Blessed are the well-dressed. Blessed are the skilled. Blessed are the educated. Blessed are the homeowners. Blessed are the good-looking. Blessed are the promoted. Blessed are those with a guaranteed pension. Blessed also, but to a lesser degree, are those with a 401k. Jesus' list of blessed people is very different, and that's why we're calling this series Upside Down. It looks upside down, but in reality, Jesus is setting things right side up. Who is blessed? Jesus has an answer. Blessed is anyone who is alive in the kingdom of God. Blessed is anyone who has surrendered their ego. Blessed is anyone who no longer feels the need to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. Blessed is anyone who rests in the security that nothing can separate us from the love of God. To be in the kingdom means to be blessed no matter what happens. One day I was driving in my car up to Mount Pleasant to visit my college-age sons and take care of some personal business. Uh, my insurance agent is still located in Mount Pleasant where we used to live. And so I'm, I'm, I'm dressed like this kind of because I'm going to an office 
And uh, I'm kind of in a hurry, so I grab breakfast on the go. And some of you know uh, that I'm trying to eat more healthy. And uh, on many mornings, I will take vegetables and put them in my juicing machine and uh, pull up something like this. This is carrots and beets that have been blended into juice. This is very, very healthy. And it tastes very, very healthy. <laughs> it's my new discipline. And I get in the car, and I'm making that two-hour drive up to Mount Pleasant, and I'm drinking my juice. There's a leak in my bottle. I am, I am two hours from my house. And so I stop into McDonald's, and I get some napkins and water, and I try to clean up, and you know what happens? It just, it just gets bigger. And, uh, and I pull into uh, Northwestern Mutual Building in downtown Mount Pleasant, one of the only offices in the world where people still dress up. And I've got to walk in, and I'm, I'm like, uh, I look like I've been shot, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> nobody's going to sell me life insurance. I, I look like I'm there to make a claim. Uh, and I have to decide, am I going to try to conceal it? I've got papers with me. I've got important papers. I could walk in and, and uh, hold my papers. At, you know, such a, well, let's, let's, re let's review those figures again. Yes, that looks right to me. Um, uh, I, I, I thought about folding, you know, fold, trying to hold my arm. Uh, that's a, a good point you make. Um, yes, that's excellent. But I decide I'm going to go full disclosure. And these are my insurance agent, right? And so I decide to walk in. I'm like, hey, everybody. Uh, uh, hey, I, I was going to hide this, but you, you, you know everything about me. You're my insurance agency. You, you, you know my body mass index. Uh, you, you know my cholesterol level. Uh, there are no secrets here. So let me just tell you, I was... Uh, funny story. I was I was in uh, on the highway coming up here, and I uh, and I I saved a man's life. <laughs> and uh, we are so prone to want to conceal and hide and fabricate and make ourselves look good when the community that Jesus is forming is the community of the open stain, the community of authenticity the community of no pretending, the community that acknowledges the messiness of our world and welcomes everybody. And nobody in this community pretends because pretending will do no good. The writer of John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are the community of the open stain, seeking the cleansing power of God through Christ Jesus. I hope this point is clear because it really matters. I hope this point is clear because this really is what Jesus wants us to do. I hope this point is clear because this illustration just cost me a hundred bucks. <laughs> and some of you are wondering if, the, if I'm really going to wear this shirt for the rest of the sermon, and I am. Groups like Alcoholics Anonymous and Recovery Ministries are way out in front of us of establishing a culture of openness and acceptance. And you may know that in AA, whenever somebody introduces themselves, they begin the same way. They say, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Scott. And the people gathered there don't say, I am shocked and appalled by that. They say, hi, Scott. 
Because admitting that you have a problem, confessing your own powerlessness, is the first step in the 12 steps of recovery. This is key. The 12 steps, by the way, work for everybody, not just for addicts. The 12 steps work for everybody. AA was originally a discipleship movement. It was a movement that understands that the recognition and public confession of inadequacy is part of what God uses to grow people. In fact, there can't be growth without it. And recovery ministries have institutionalized this. They've put it into their culture. The recognition and public confession of inadequacy itself is an achievement to be celebrated. Our Celebrate Recovery ministry uses the eight principles of recovery, which are very similar and overlapping with the 12 steps, the more famous 12 steps, eight principles of recovery. And every time they meet on Thursday nights, they recite the eight steps of recovery and the eight beatitudes of Jesus. The beatitudes are held in high esteem by the recovery community. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are obsessing over the pastor's shirt right now. I've been a guest speaker at Celebrate Recovery a few times. And the first time I went, the leaders prepped me by saying that it's a little different than AA. When we get to the microphone, when anybody introduces themselves, they, they, they have three lines. They begin with, I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. I'm, and then they name your hurt habit or hang-up. And then thirdly, my name is. And they told me, if you, if you could do that, kind of model that, everyone who goes to the microphone will do this. So I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. Name your hurt habit or hang-up, and then your name, and we'll be going. And really, the first thought that hit my mind was, I don't have any hurts, habits, or hang-ups. I'm the guest speaker. And then right on the heels of that, I recognized, of course, I have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but I don't want people to know what they are. I'm the pastor for crying out loud. I'm the outside expert. So I did a quick analysis, and a quick soul-searching, and here, here's, what, here's what I said that night. I stood up and I said, I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. And I am a recovering people pleaser. My name is Scott. And they said, hi, Scott. And then I felt like maybe I didn't go far enough. So I said, no, you don't understand. I'm a praiseaholic just waiting for my next binge. And I struggle with pride. And sometimes I covet the gifts and ministries of other ministers. My name is Scott. And they said, sit down, Scott. And no, they didn't say that. Yeah, it felt so good. I, I introduced myself 27 times that night. Uh, and the night went on. Someone stood up. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery for an addiction to opioids. It's, my name is Mike. Someone else stood up. I'm a survivor of physical abuse. My name is Karen. I wrestle with codependency. My name is Tom. And the whole thing was so honest, so real, so open, so raw, so healing, so challenging. And in churches, we're tempted to cover that all up. AA has a, a, a saying for just about everything, and one of the sayings that haunts me as a pastor, because many AA groups started meeting in church basements. Um, I've heard that they say, uh, if you want your life changed, come downstairs. If you want to stay the same, go upstairs. The public confession of inadequacy to be people of the open stain. In worship services, we often include a prayer of confession as an act of worship. That's good. I want to try a form of mass confession right now. I'm going to invite you to turn to the person next to you and say three sentences. 
I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. Men say, apart from God, my life is a total wreck. My name is. And if you're comfortable with that, would you please turn and say those words to the person next to you? We celebrate inadequacy. We celebrate inadequacy. We don't hide it. We don't pretend like we're somebody that we're not. We don't pretend like we've been Christians so long that we don't struggle with anything anymore. Uh, no pretending here. We're the church of the open stain. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And then in Jesus' community, we learn to see others the way that God sees them. Right, we're entering the upside-down kingdom. And part of what Jesus was doing in the Beatitudes was teaching his disciples how he sees people. When the Apostle Paul first came to understand this, he put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a what? Worldly point of view. What's a worldly point of view? A worldly point of view it's just the system of evaluation that most people use. What do you look like? What do you do? What do you own? Who do you know? I want to challenge you this week to practice looking at people differently. When I decide to follow Jesus and live in his kingdom, I repent of the way that I have judged people based on the silliest of criteria. I acknowledge that I live in a silly and superficial kingdom. And I repent of that. I ask God to retrain my eyes that I would see everybody as a child of God and an object of Jesus' cross-embracing love. So this week, practice looking at people differently. Ask God to help you. Ask God to give you his eyes. I want to introduce Patty Camille this morning. She's uh, the leader of our Celebrate Recovery Group. Would you come on up here, Patty? Uh, Patty does this all as a volunteer, as a labor of love. And, uh, and Patty, you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Hi, everyone. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ in recovery as a survivor of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse who struggles with trust. And my name's Patty. Hi, Patty. Hi, everyone. Um, tell me what you love so much about Celebrate Recovery. Well, when I first started uh, Celebrate Recovery, I was um, very broken and um, without a lot of hope, and I was isolating myself. Um, I needed some place to go um, to find some hope, and I found Celebrate Recovery. And with finding Celebrate Recovery, I found other women who had the same kind of uh, issues that I had in my life and was able to relate to them. So not only was I able to um, heal, but I was also able to have a lot of hope for my future. What's the greatest misconception people have about Celebrate Recovery? Well, a lot of people think that it's just for drugs and alcohol, and uh, it is not. And one out of three people that come to Celebrate Recovery has an addiction um, to either alcohol or drugs. The rest of the other two people are another issues. So what kinds of people come on Thursdays? Well, we have anger, anxiety, abuse, codependency, we have sexual integrity, we have uh, 
let's see, what else, what did I miss? Anxiety, did I say that already? Um, we have uh, family dysfunction. We have people that uh, are, do self-harm, so they, they might cut themselves or burn themselves. We have people that have gambling issues. We have people, we had one person come that had just a nicotine issue that wanted to quit smoking. So it, it's for everybody in life. Normal people. Normal people. These are normal people yep. coming to gain help yep. through, through Christ. Um, I told everybody that when you gather on Thursdays, you have a um, tradition mm -hmm. of reading the eight principles of recovery and the Beatitudes. I'd like us to, to, to do that now with your leadership, and I'd like to do it exactly the way you would do it on a typical Thursday. So kind of coach us on that. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the principles. There's eight principles, and I'm going to read those. And after each principle, there is a, a beatitude. So we want to, with you guys, I'd like you to follow along with that and, and say it with me. Again, I'll read the, the step, and then you join along with the, the beatitude. Okay? Okay. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Happier Happy are those who know they that they are spiritually, spiritually poor. Matthew 5.3 Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy, Happy are those who mourn, for they, for they shall, shall be comforted. comforted. Matthew 5.4 Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek. Matthew, Matthew 5.5 5. 5. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy, Happy are, are the, the pure in heart. heart. Matthew 5, 8. Voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy, Happy are, are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. requires. Matthew 5, 5 6. Evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible. Except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Yield myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and my words. Happy, Happy are, are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5.10. Thank you, Patty. And, and Patty Thank will you. be out in, in the Connection Center. If you want more information about Celebrate Recovery near the new glowing wall, you can find Patty out there. Will you thank her for... Uh, one final thought, and then we're through. We've noted the distinction on the mountain that day between the crowds and the disciples. We saw it in the verse that we read, our verse of the day. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So in other words, there are the crowds. Jesus saw the crowds. And there are the disciples. Those are the ones who came to him. The crowds admire Jesus. They want Jesus to help them. But the disciples are the ones who are committed and go to him. Now the disciples are, are, the disciples are just as stained, just as poor in spirit, 
just as needy as the crowds, but they're the ones that said, I must follow this man. I must have what he offers. I will go where he leads. I will do what he says. Whatever the cost, they become his disciples. And every now and again, someone leaves the admiring crowd, crosses over, and becomes a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And that could be you. Blessed, 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 blessed are you in the kingdom of our God. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways you receive messy, stained people. Thank you for the ways you receive us. Help us to see as you see. Help us to love as you love. Help us to be people of the open stain. No pretending or posturing. Holy resting in you. And welcoming all who you place in our paths. Lead us to the blessed life. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And the whole church said,